Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN. Your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. So this first piece of news I'm going to deliver here, you might need a pullover for. It's a bit shocking. And no, it's not about conference realignment, although of course we'll get there because now we have a couple of more conferences throwing their uh, hats in the ring again. Jesus, this will never end. Nope. Um, no. The Kansas City Royals are the hottest team in baseball. And when I say hottest team, I'm talking they've won four games in a row. And by Royal standards, that is blazing hot. First time all year. First time all year. Well, had they previously had a three-game winning streak? Not before this past weekend extended into last night. So there you go. The Royals have doubled their longest winning streak this season from two to four. But what is, you know, actually impressive about it is the way they built this streak. Not only, okay, so they they hung on, right? They beat the Mets. And beat then, the Mets. previous beat to that, the Mets. swept the Twins. Yeah. And that's the division leader. That's how bad the division is. Royals are going to screw around and they're going to pass the Chicago White Sox for fourth place in the division. Right now, well, the Royals are 10 games back of the White Sox, and um, they don't really have a lot of winning going on right now either. So it might be a chase for fourth right now between Kansas City and Chicago. You could argue that last night they didn't win so much as the Mets lost it. A balk. Uh, uh, yeah, so, yes, the balk. I caught that as a highlight on social media afterwards, but I was listening, and the Royals were up three. They bring in Coleman in relief. And then he gives up back-to-back runs. I'm like, of course. I listened to the game for literally (laughs) 10 minutes on my way home from trivia. By the way, we got third place. And um, that's it. Well, that was that's third out of uh, let's see how many teams were there last night. I want to say like 15. Oh, okay. I mean, it's pretty solid. Upper fifth. Good job. Yeah, but you got to be in the top two to finish. By Uh the way, shout out to McCool's. Uh, Love it out there. Um, Where was I? Oh, but anyway, yeah. I listened to 10 minutes and the lead's gone. He just had to throw some strikes. But yes, the Bach finish was incredible. And there was hesitation from the umpires. Uh, watching the replay, you could tell right away. 
it's like his body like his body jolted for a second, like he had a full body twitch. I'm like, well, that's obviously a balk. And yeah, I'm I'm talked about it for about ten seconds, and the Royals win. And by the way, with four straight wins, the record down thirty three and seventy five, a winning percentage of thirty point six. Now they're twenty two games back in the Central, and they now have some cushion from the Yays for the worst record in baseball. Actually, let me take a look at the NL. Uh, nobody's even close to having the worst record in Major League Baseball. We'll have to have D.Y. on in a second. They just got uh, the Reds, a one-game lead of the Brewers right now. Um, okay, keep an eye on the Reds. Uh, welcome to the game. Mitch Fortner and Troy Coverdale, just us two today. D.G. is out buying a car. And I wished him the best of luck because he's right now in the middle of negotiations. Oh, fun. If you think, like, you know, training camp – negotiations for better contracts or a contract extension is riveting boy dg battling it out with a used car salesman in leavenworth kansas when we get the update i bet it's going to be a bit hotter we'll see who wins at the end of the day i've asked for uh updates so we hope we get some uh, busy show today. Coming up in hour number two, we'll get more on conference realignment, of course. And, we'll, of course, with DY coming in, we'll discuss that as well. But now the Big Ten, now they want to get back in it. Florida State's like, they're finally, somebody in the ACC is talking publicly about, well, we got a trash TV deal. And it's going on for way too long. Maybe we look for another home now. Plus, Hunter Decker's degenerate gambler. So we'll play a game later on in the second hour. Who's the biggest degenerate gambler, Hunter Deckers or Troy Coverdale? The voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, will have his first training camp report. You really want to go there? You, you really want to go there? Well, we're going to go over the numbers. Oh boy, we're going to go over the numbers and see who's, the, you know, at the end of the day, who has more to lose. Um, well, maybe we discuss that as well. But let's get to our uh, special guest first. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Tonight is the two hundredth. AEW Dynamite is coming from the Yingling Center in Tampa, Florida. Plus, update on ticket sales for AEW All Out, or All In rather, August 27th, Wembley Stadium in London. They're trying to sell 84,048 tickets. The latest update is 77,470. And I got to repeat this because this is unheard of. AEW has still not announced a single match for this pay-per-view and AEW is literally 32 ticket 3200 tickets away from being sold to set a new pro wrestling world record for sold tickets for one event. He joins us back from vacation. We missed him last week. We are back now with Derek Young from K-State Online. DY, where'd you go for your vacation? I was in Florida, so uh, I have a pretty good tan at the moment. We'll see how long it stays. That was my next question. Is it a tan because you got sunburn, or are you like used as a grown-up would the sunscreen, sunscreen, and you're going to glaze nicely? No, I, I I would say that it looks pretty good. I didn't get burnt at one uh, at all. Uh, I I went in with a pretty good tan though, so I think I had a good base because I'd never even used uh, sunscreen either. Was lucky you. I, I went to the lake on Saturday and exposed my white chest and white back 
for uh, for a good hour consecutively, and uh, I burnt. I burnt good. So you're lucky. So was this like a uh, just like guilt, go to the beach and relax type of trip, or was uh, what else did you do? The Disney World, the little Disney. Oh, oh, Orlando. Okay, what you th- was it your first time? Second. Okay, what did you think of it your second time through? I pro- well, my first time was like I think I was probably eight or nine years old, so okay. I didn't have like the most distinct memory. So this was more of a nostalgic kind of thing. What was your favorite ride? Favorite ride. Well, we didn't do any like anything big, and I'm not a big roller coaster person in uh, general, but I did enjoy the Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, did you go to all the parks? Or did you just go to a couple? Yeah, we went to the the main four. Yep. Oh, you didn't ride the uh, the Tower of Terror, the uh, Twilight Zone ride at Hollywood Studios. Uh, we were at Hollywood Studios. I very much saw it, but that would be the last one that I would go on, probably. And which is interesting because <sighs> I have. A, I don't love big drops. I don't like that feeling. I'm I'm a little bit afraid of heights, so it's not necessarily my in my wheelhouse, which is ironic because I'm from Ohio and I lived like an hour and a half away from like the roller coaster capital of the world at Cedar Point in Ohio. Well, I tell you what, if if you're not the one going on the rides, at least everybody else had somebody to uh, you know hold the bags and hold the hats while they go on rides but man you, that's my favorite ride just actually the production leading up to the jump or to the uh, falls rather it's like a big elevator drop go up and go down multiple times it it is quite fascinating uh the work that they did to uh really create that ride and, and the uh, the special effects are incredible although it hasn't changed in, in over 20 years and right next to it is the uh the aerosmith roller coaster that's pretty dope as well i'm so you're saying it's more of a it's more of a fear thing, not so much like those kind of things make you nauseous. Yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of a fear thing. The Aerosmith one was closed when we were there, actually. Oh, that sucks. That's a dope roller coaster. All right, let's get to uh, let's get to the sports here. Are you finding entertainment at this point with all the conference realignment? Even though the Big Twelve is coming out of it, of course, right now and still in the middle of it, winning at the end of the day versus the Pac-12. Is this just dragging on too long for you and you're just kind of tired of it, or are you still finding entertainment? Yeah, I, I can understand a little bit of the fatigue and the exhaustion, but I find it pretty fascinating as well. Um, I think some of the stuff is just really interesting on how the cards are played and how how the dominoes fall and how everything unfolds. And, and like you said and you alluded to, it's kind of, you know, at this point, like I think the last couple rounds, even though they were smaller than the big one, you know, a decade ago, um, this one I'm talking about when USC UCLA went to the Big Ten, when Texas Oklahoma went to the SEC. I mean, there was a even as some of the covers, you know, Kansas State, there was a lot of consternation there, right? A little bit of paranoia of, of where things are going to fall for K State and and how that might affect business for them business for you know a lot of that just a lot of paranoia a little bit of angst and this time it's a little bit more relaxing it because as you alluded to it's it's kind of playing in favor of the big 12 and in favor of kansas state when and and you don't want to speak too soon but you you feel like you're on more solid ground more solid footing with less fear of what the next shoe is going to drop so I, I think I'm able to enjoy it a little bit more because of that. Because at this point, I mean, the next domino to fall is probably the Big 12 gaining another member. Derek Young from Case in the Line is our guest. So you know, what we learned earlier this week was that 
the Pac-12 once again, presidents, ADs with Commissioner George Klyovkov had another, you know, media rights deal meeting about, you know, what's the latest numbers? Because last time they had one, they didn't have any numbers to present. So Colorado's out the door. They had enough. And now, you know, the last report was like Arizona's thinking about jumping. But not until we have this meeting with George Klyovkov, and it's like an Apple Plus mostly streaming deal, $20 million per school. And maybe that's just you know something on the table to buy some time. But let's say this was to go through. Would, would Derek Young be interesting investing 10 to 15 bucks to watch a Pac-12 game late at night? Oh, probably not. You could find another game without having to pay $15. I, I just wouldn't do it. Like, and it's an add-on, right? Like I already yeah. have Apple TV, but I would have to pay even extra to get Pac-12 football. Um, no offense to those schools, but I'm just not interested enough to pay an, an extra subscription just to get them when I don't necessarily have to do that with any other conference. I do with the Big 12, I guess, a little bit because of ESPN+, Plus, but obviously that's worth it to me, and it's cheaper. So, yeah, I just um, – I don't see the allure of that, especially when you consider that going forward, they're not going to have USC, which would probably be the main attraction in most years. So I wouldn't do it. And if I was a school in the in the Pac-12, where it looks like the upside of the deal to get it in the neighborhood of the Big 12's money, so to speak, would be to you know really you know, dominate in terms of subscriptions sold. That just doesn't seem like a winning formula to me for them. Yeah, it would be a pain for anybody that wasn't an Apple Plus, Apple TV subscriber to then have another app, have another streaming source to subscribe to, and everybody already has too many anyway, right? Like too many to keep track of. Yeah, I know I do. Um, And I just go back and think about, you know, Kansas State played Cal in basketball last year, and I think it was on the Pac-12 network, which none of us really get, so – I don't think I forked over and maybe I did a free trial or, or some sorts, but it's not like I was ready to invest in the Pac-12 network based off of that either. So um, they have their own subscription problems with the whole Pac-12 network at the moment. And I don't think a, an Apple TV deal, which is going to limit their exposure even further, is really going to move the needle for any of those schools that also have alternative options, whether it be the Big 12 or the Big 10. And if I was one of the Pac-12 schools, I think what bothers me the most is just the uncertainty of how much money uh, you're going to be getting just from your media rights deal because there's an opportunity for make more to make more money if the subscription numbers are up, but that's not a guarantee. Pac-12 subscription numbers were lower than expected, so you can't yeah. bank on making extra money on Apple if – you don't know what the subscriber numbers are going to look like year after year. You know what I mean? Yeah, they already had that. Like you said, they already had that subscription problem with the Pac-12 network. When Larry Scott was the commissioner, he sold them a bill of goods that it was going to, you know, be lucrative based on the subscriptions that they were going to sell. That flopped. Uh, You look in all their stadiums that aren't selling out. I don't think those presidents or those administrations can really bank on the allure of the Pac-12 when they can't sell out their own stadiums and when their subscription arrangement that Larry Scott formed flopped already. So it would just feel like doubling down on something that already lost. And when you have a sure thing sitting right there, whether it be the Big 12 or the Big 10, it would seem foolish to kind of double down on that subscription plan that already failed. Yeah. Who wins the Pac-12 this year? Who wins the Pac-12 this year? You know, that's an interesting question. Because everyone wants to go to USC, 
the whole defense thing, I just don't know if they'll ever figure it out. That was always Lincoln Riley's bugaboo at Oklahoma as well. Um, I'm trying to think. I think Oregon's probably still a year away, but I think they're heading in the right direction under Dan Lanning. I kind of like Washington this year. I think that's a team to look out for in Oregon State. Boy, say that louder for those in Corvallis. Uh, I tuned yeah. into a Corvallis sports radio uh, show earlier today. It's like called the Beaver or something like that, and it was just meltdown city of where the Pac-12 is going. They didn't even talk one second about, hey, this uh, Oregon State team could be pretty good this year. But I'm with you. I think yeah, I think we talked about that actually previously on another show and another interview that uh, rather um, about how good Oregon State can be. Yeah, they, they can be pretty good. I remember, I think they won 10 games last year, stomped Florida in a bowl game, if I remember correctly. That's a team that's headed in the right direction. It probably depends on what kind of QB play they'll get. I think they have DJ Uyunglele from Clemson, the transfers, their starting yeah. quarterback this year. Yep, that's true. And uh, one more question before a break. Uh, Hunter Decker is a degenerate gambler. I'm sure that doesn't catch you off guard. No, the, the rumors were really swirling around about that in the last few months, so I don't think it's shocking to any of us. I think we probably thought it was going to be plenty of Iowa State players, and maybe there's more to come out because it hasn't been as earth-shattering as I thought it would be. Although I will say that the level of accusations that are being levied on Hunter Deckers, just specifically him, we're talking about tampering and, and basically criminal investigation. I, I didn't know that it was going to go to that length. So that probably surprised me very much. Um, I would be shocked if he plays another college football game. Yeah. Him descri- dis, uh, disguising his account with his parents' name. I appreciate yeah. the effort, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And he bet on an Iowa State football game yeah. while he was at Iowa State. I mean, that's a big no-no. Yep, that is a call for uh, eligibility disqualification right there, according to the new rules from the NCAA. DUI, let's take a break. We're talking with Derek Young from K-State Online, who's going to join us for one more segment. And we'll get to uh, some K-State football recruiting. Plus, first open practice for the media is tomorrow. I'd love to know what DUI will have his eyes peeled for for that first view of fall practice that actually began today. More with DY next on the game. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Troy, I gotta say, for that Game Sports update, I love that you just freeballed your way through the pronunciations on, I think it was, so it was a defensive end for Iowa State. He's no longer with Iowa State. He's with the Denver Broncos. Set to sit out for the coming season because of that fact? Yes. I thought it was like, it was Arike or something like that. I can't honestly remember, but it was a tough one. Yeah, literally had the pronouncer in the uh, script because otherwise yeah. I'm all over the map with it. We're back with Derek Young from Case in Online for a few more moments here on the game. Uh, D.Y., I saw the Big 12 just put out a video of... Um, this is from Big 12 Media Days of the guys talking about does chili belong on spaghetti? Most were saying no. Kleiman said yes. If it wasn't for Skyline and that reputation, would you say yes or no to chili on just like, like if you're cooking at home, chili on spaghetti? 
No, uh, I, I know I'm from Ohio, but don't yeah. lump me into that group. I'm a big no. <laughs> Even on the skyline? Yeah, it's it's overrated. All right. I'm going to try one of these days. Hopefully get out to Cincy for one of those games. Um, all right, so looking at football. So recruiting, big recruiting week last week. Michael Boganowski, Grant Bricks, two of the big three that have been deemed uh, for this recruiting class for 2024 were back in town, plus a number of 2024 and 2025 targets were in town as well. Anything we should know about that recent visit? You know, Obviously, there's a lot of significance surrounding Michael Boganowski and Grant Breaks. Those are the two top remaining targets left on the board for Kansas State. Unfortunately, just not a lot of information, right? It was just an, another trip. They also saw their other two finalists for Bricks. That's Oklahoma, Nebraska. For Boganowski, that's Kansas and Oklahoma. Uh, although his parents did not accompany him on his trip to see the Jayhawks. I, I think it's K-State or Oklahoma for Boganowski. Uh, and Bricks, man, that, it... I wouldn't rule out any of the three schools. I know for a while I was saying Kansas State or Nebraska, starting to hear a little bit about OU all of a sudden again. So um, for the most part, all intents and purposes, I think it remains the status quo for each of those two. So coming up uh, tomorrow, uh, around 10 o'clock in the morning, the media will have the doors open, courtesy of K-State, to witness some of the second practice. And – for the third straight year, I'm going to have to miss it because of an appointment. But um, is it typically the same things? Or are you looking for something specific when it comes to the first media viewing of a, of a practice? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, we get like the first half hour, so we're not really getting a good taste of anything necessarily. Some position drills, special teams work, stretching. Um, not a lot of scrimmage stuff. So you're kind of just evaluating folks, players on an individual basis. Just So, you know, in that first one, maybe peer a little bit a bit at the true freshman to see how, how they look. So if, if someone really looks the part in their uniform um, or just the way that they're moving, maybe if we get any kind of barometer on the quarterback pecking order, that would be something that would be probably worth watching, whether – if they do like a, an order, if you know, we know Will Howard's QB one. Who's QB two? Is that Jake Brubley? Is that Avery Johnson? I think I would have a level of curiosity about that. Just how much maybe they distinguish the touches between DJ Giddens and Treshawn Ward. I think that's an interesting storyline going into the season. And uh, yeah, I would say, but for for something like this where you're not getting a really good barometer of of a player or anything, I would say just kind of seeing those true freshmen and how they look, you know, physically, if they're, if they're ready or they look like they're a long ways from contributing. I think that's something that you can kind of decipher from these availabilities, probably more than anything else. And obviously, you know, unfortunately injuries happen, right? Uh, People get dings, people get bruises uh, just to see who's maybe not fully, 100% 100% available right now would be interesting. I saw, you know, they, they've released some pictures and videos already from today's practice, which was the first one um, of camp. And I did see Kobe Savage out there looking like he was full go. So that's a good sign already. One more question for Derek Young from K-State Online. I thought Drew Galloway, your colleague there at K-State Online, has been doing a great job with 
the questions have been bringing up like a question of the week or like a fact or fiction question. It's been you know fun topics just to boggle your mind on on what way you would lean. One of those questions I was actually going to bring up with you last week, but you're on vacation, so we didn't get to chat. But the conversation came up with also I was going to have it on the show, but Colorado is doing its thing, and that kind of changed the whole show yeah. last week. <laughs> Um, but the question was, do you think K-State would go undefeated at home this season, which is something a K-State team has not done in football since 2012 when Colin Klein won a Big 12 championship? Home opponents, SEMO, Troy, UCF, TCU, Houston, Baylor, Iowa State. Is that a 7-0 and for you? Man, on paper it should be, right? It's like, like realistically. But I, I think the – the challenges might be TCU and Baylor. I think beating the newcomers at home should be doable. You see UCF in Houston. We already know Iowa State's already going to be shorthanded this year, although you're playing them at the final game of the season. So uh, you're probably getting their best shot. But I still think you got you can probably stow away, you know, wins over UCF, Houston, and Iowa State and SEMO. You know, they have the group of five curse almost going on right now with, with Arkansas State with Navy, with Tulane under Chris Kleiman, but you you still you hope that you'd be able to knock off Troy at home, even though Troy's going to be a good team um, for a group of five levels. So it comes down to TCU and Baylor. I still have questions about Baylor. They they have an all-new offensive line this year for the most part, I believe, a quarterback that I don't really believe in. So that one doesn't scare me too much. I think TCU is a wild card this year because they lost a lot from a team that went to the national championship game a year ago and was in the big 12 title game against K-State. And they're going to rely on Chandler Morris, a quarterback who's talented, but hasn't really put it together yet. And they're going to be relying on a ton of transfers that were highly ranked as high school prospects, but never really did anything at their first stop. So we'll find out whether there was a reason for that, or they're just good, really good players that needed to change the scenery. So for me, TCU is kind of one of those teams that could go and win seven games this year or go and win 11, and I don't think either one would surprise me. So that's probably the toughest home game. D.Y., that's all I have for you this week. Really appreciate your time. Hopefully we'll talk next week and enjoy your tan. <laughs> appreciate it. See you guys later. Derek Young from KCN Online here on the game. We're off to a break, and when we come back, we get our first training camp update from St. Joseph, Missouri, with the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, next. You're home for K-State sports. McNabb with a shotgun, rolls to the near side. K-State wasn't quite ready, but now they come after McNabb in the backfield, and they get him at the 35-yard line of Syracuse. Kansas State tracks him down as Darren Howard, who shot through there and brings down McNabb. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. We go from Manhattan, Kansas to St. Joseph, Missouri. Chiefs training camp is underway, and it's now time for our first Chiefs training camp update with the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. And it's brought to you by Hy-Vee and K-State Federal Credit Union. Contact Sharina Richardson about using the credit union advantage for your next home loan. Mitch, after another Super Bowl victory, parades, NFL draft, and now you're in training camp. Did you have an offseason at all? Answer, no. This was uh, being on the merry-go-round at the Riley County Fair, and it never <laughs> stopped. Uh, but I had a friend of mine saying, if you complain, you're talking about the ice cream being too cold. Uh, 
on the, on the other side of this, right, with two two and fourteen seasons. But just let's just back up the truck here and realize the rarefied air that we are in uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chiefs Kingdom to have second in NFL history with seventy five wins over a five year span to have it's the most popular league in America, right? And then to have uh, the best coach, the best quarterback, the best tight end, and the best team in the most popular game in America is pretty crazy. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been active. It's been busy. There have been requests by the day. I kid you not. I'm not exaggerating. By the day, because everybody wants to experience a piece of the kingdom. If I did my math right, is this going to be your 30th season with Kansas City? 30th season, yes, sir. Uh, after 13 seasons with K-State and two years, of course, overlapping, uh, which took years off my life, uh, <laughs> I'll write a book one of these days. There's some pretty funny stories. But, uh, yes, this is my 30th season with the Chiefs. Well, congratulations on the threshold, and it's got to be one of the most exciting training camps as you head into the 2023 season. It's going to be your first year with the Chiefs taking a K-State Wildcat with their first-round pick, 31st overall, in Kansas City as Kansas City tries to continue to push that ceiling upwards when it comes to the pass rush. Frank Clark is now a Bronco. Charles Aminahue comes in from San Francisco. But for King Felix and Udike Uzama, how has he looked so far? Well, he's got some work to do. I'll just be honest with you. And I, and I corralled Felix uh, the other day. And we're going to really explore with you guys over the next two times that I'm on with you uh, and just kind of jump in to try to get into Felix's mind. It's been a slow start. He broke his hand, I believe, on the last play of the Sugar Bowl. And that gave him a slow start in the OTAs and during the mandatory minicamp. So that gave him a kind of a little bit of a slow start coming into camp. But he's, he's made steady improvement, but there's a ways to go here. Now, They've got a bunch of guys on the outside. It's, it's kind of the sum of the parts. George Karloftis, the one thing I'm really excited about Felix is the fact that being drafted in the first round a year after Karloftis is those two can grow together. And I think that's going to be a positive for Felix as the years go on. Karloftis is a great dude. And he's, man, he's having a really good camp after he had a, you know, studly finish to the season when he had racked up six and a half sacks in like the last five or six games of the regular season. But then you had Mike Dana, who's got, he's working on some, he's got a calf injury right now. A man who's going to be a stud. A man who's really good. So there's there's enough guys there, but for Felix, it's just a matter of, of kind of catching on. One of the things we're going to jump into Felix is I've seen him being tutored a bit on drops, uh, meaning dropping out of that position, dropping his hips and covering the flat. They, they have high hopes for Felix, but... This, this has been a slow start. I don't mind telling you. Well, there's another Wildcat that's in training camp with the Chiefs. Have you been able to catch Echo Boydo uh, in the secondary? Ooh. I haven't talked to him yet. We'll try to chase him down, but I've talked to him privately. We just didn't record the conversation. He's a quasi-amazing story. So after, and I loved him as a Wildcat, but after the – Draft is over, and then it's a mad scramble of recruiting for undrafted free agents. And that's going to be one of the stories of this camp because the Chiefs have a couple really good ones that will help them this season. But then after the undrafted free agent time is over and the, all the smoke is cleared, they have tryouts. They basically, I call them like the mean machine tryouts, right? It's like the old movie, The Replacements. They bring them in on a school bus, 
and there's like 50 dudes that come in and just try out on rookie minicamp weekend, and that was Boydo. So here's Echo Boydo. He's in there, and he makes the team off that tryout, which is like a .0001 chance of doing. And not only that, he was getting repetitions and has been uh, with the second-team DBs, depending on who's in and out. But he is he's left his mark. In fact, I mean, he would be ahead of Felix right now. Uh, but that could change. But on a depth chart, now, is he going to make the team? It'd be really hard to do. This team is deep and with young defensive backs. But if he gets on the practice squad, I mean – Echo Boido is, is progressing to be a nice NFL player. It just takes a while uh, when you're coming from where he's coming from. I want to jump to the offensive side of the football here. Mitch uh, learned first day of training camp that uh, wide receiver Kadarius Toney suffers a knee injury. And uh, later in the week, Andy Reid, he's revealing that torn meniscus underwent surgery. There's hopes that he'll be back for week one, game one, Thursday night against. Uh, the Detroit Lions. But meanwhile, I mean, this could be a major opportunity for some young wide receivers, even guys that are already on the team, to get more snaps and maybe have a more a bigger role with the Chiefs in 2023. But in the last week, week and a half, have you seen guys step up, not only in uh, an accelerated role, but building that um, that relationship with Patrick Mahomes? No question, and this is where the value of Patrick Mahomes goes way beyond his, oh gosh, he had the most yards uh, of any player in the NFL history last year, uh, and he's two-time Super Bowl MVP, and he's two-time MVP, and he's the winningest quarterback in NFL history in his first 80 starts. We know all that. What we don't know, and that's why the Netflix quarterback series, I put this out on my Twitter page, that I tweeted that now the world is seeing what we see all the time in that the impact of Mahomes is like he's an additional head coach. He's an additional offensive coordinator. He's an additional wide receivers coach, running backs coach, tight ends coach. And that's why I'm answering your question that way. I sent you guys a little piece of audio where I had a chance to get Patrick on the side and talk to him about this group and how basically Patrick is mentoring these guys. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, really if you look at Watson, Justin Watson, Marquez, uh, Sky, and even KT, they're really all going into their second year uh, within this offense. And even though they've been other places with some of those guys, it's still a whole new offense. So I think those guys, you can see that step they, they've taken. Um, and then integrating the young guys in there uh, with Justin Ross and um, with Rice and John Ross. I mean, we have so many young receivers that have kind of really added that value um, to that receiving room, and I'm excited for the competition going into training camp. And then the tight ends group and the running back group. What about that in the receiving game? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to make uh, Brett V's jobs tough. Um, I mean, we, if you look at the tight end group as a whole, I mean, everybody's been making plays. Running backs as well. Um, and then getting to add Pac and, and Jarek uh, in, in the mix. I mean, it's going to be a heck of a, a offensive room. Um, and it's going to be a lot of competition. And I think competition brings out greatness. And that's what we're looking for. Tomorrow we're going to post, Matt McMullen and I are going to post a Defending the Kingdom podcast, about 25 minutes, where we're going to answer your question in, in several paragraphs. But Patrick Mahomes is bringing these guys along. Now, there, there's different categories here, but the guy that has made the biggest leap is Sky Moore. When Sky Moore had that punt return against Cincinnati last year and then the touchdown in Super Bowl 57, it like changed his life. 
he had an excellent offseason. He's stronger. They're putting a lot on his plate. He can do a lot of things. He's not a burner. He's not a McColl Hardman run a 4-2. And he's not as quite as tall as Juju Smith-Schuster. But he's a little bit of a combination of those two in how he can be utilized in the playbook. I'm very excited about him and his potential productivity. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, they're putting more on his plate. Not just to be a straight line, double move, it will throw you a fade. Um, and I'll just give you a precursor, an appetizer, if you will, of this podcast. There's a checklist if you're going to play wide receiver for Patrick Mahomes and for Andy Reid. First of all, you have to know all of the receiver positions. You're not an X, a Z, or a slot. You're all of it. And try to check that box as fast as you can. Another is the fact that you're going to have to participate in special teams. Everybody that we're going to mention in the wide receiver room has got to be, in some way, shape, or form, a contributor on special teams. Kadarius Tony, 65-yard punt return, Super Bowl 57. Um, Justin Watson, who's a four-core special teams guy. Uh, and then you've got to get the confidence of Patrick Mahomes, and that's what we're discussing here. Does Mahomes rely on you to run the right route? Does Mahomes rely on you to run the route within a route, and that is making a side adjustment. All those things factor in with this wide receiver room. But overall, there's a little bit more here than meets the eye. It's just not you're not walking in with a Tyreek Hill with 1,300 yards and 150 targets a year ago. Speaking with the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis on the game, another storyline from training camp recently was Travis Kelsey and these backups on defense kind of getting the best of him when it comes to keeping his nerves in check. It's because they're taking punches at the ball well after the whistle, and it got to Travis Kelsey, shoved a dude in the helmet and punched another one. But after all that took place, I mean, he's out there apologizing on social media. Do you think Travis Kelsey is back mentally where he normally is during training camp, having that eye-on-the-prize focus? He's ahead of it. I know. He's ahead of it. You're like, wait a minute. I know he's 33 years old. He has played 5,500 snaps since Patrick Mahomes has been the quarterback, starting quarterback in this five-year span. There is no equal. We can just kind of shut down all the talk and, oh, gosh, Shannon Sharp or, or Kittle or stop it. I mean, only Gronk is really in the discussion when you look at what Travis Kelsey has done. Get this one. In postseason play, history of the NFL, the only guy with more receptions, yards, and touchdowns in postseason history is Jerry Rice than Travis Kelsey. Okay, so he's actually changing the game where you don't even list it now as tight ends or wide receivers. Now you're talking about pass catchers. But to answer your question, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, he's got two rings. He's got all them. He's going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Can he reinvent himself? The answer, it's red light, green light, red light, you think? Nope. It's green light with Travis Kelsey. It's go time. We know, we know, uh, you know, the past is the past at this point. We're going to, we got our eyes set on this year and it's, uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. You know, when you, uh, you go out and you get one, there's a lot of energy just to be around the guys again. And with that being said, I think uh, Coach Reed and, you know, the, uh, the front office, everybody in, in, that's been involved with this organization over the past couple of years has kind of set the tone on, you know, the work ethic that we, that we show and from day one. And uh, day one's already started. So we're, uh, so we're on the grind to get this thing again. When your stars, when your Mount Rushmore stars, Travis Kelsey and Mahomes are your hardest workers, and that includes the spring. That includes April, May, June. 
it's it's phenomenal the way those two in specific work. I mean, there was one time after an OTA session, I went up to Kelsey, like, dude, you're trying to make the team. He goes, it's just kind of the way I'm wired. Now, he's 33. You can see that he, he's not a spring chicken anymore. But he he to answer your question, I'm giving you a super long answer. Yes, he's ahead of where he has been in the past. In where we're setting her on August the second, uh, if Kelsey can stay healthy, he'll have another big year. He's just a unicorn, man. He's 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 unbelievable. He's by himself in discussions of of tight ends and what they've done in NFL history. All right, Mitch. To wrap up, I know there's been a, a limited amount of practices when it comes to full shells, but has there been a newbie, a name that we really haven't talked about yet that has really impressed you over the last couple of weeks? I have two, and it's undrafted free agents. I mentioned, well, one undrafted free agent and then a seventh-round pick. I'm going to give you one on offense and one on defense. The offensive player is Daenerys Prince. He's wearing number 34. When you see him, you'll go, wait a minute, when did Niall Davis come back? He almost has the same kind of Niall Davis body. Originally signed at a te- uh, by Texas A&M, he transferred to Tulsa. Was not drafted for the life of me. Don't know why. A little injury issue, maybe that's it, but... Uh, right now, if we're playing tonight, he's going to be worked into the lineup with Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon and would be the number one kickoff return man. Defensive side would be Nick Jones, a seventh-round corner out of Ball State. Again, the depth of this team at safety and corner is really good with young dudes. Remember last year's guys, um, and the Chiefs set an all-time NFL record playing eight rookies on special teams and defense in the Super Bowl. Never happened in the history of the league. Here comes another one. Ball State, seventh round. Right now, if the Chiefs are playing tonight, he would be all over special teams, and you may see him run in on nickel and dime. Those two guys people don't know about, but they will by the end of this preseason if they stay healthy. When I think of Ball State, I think of 76 nothing at the Bill back in 2000. Uh, but I'm glad to hear the Chiefs are having that luck with well, Ball State Nick, in 2023. If Nick, if Nick was playing in that game, he had had a pick six in the fourth quarter. It would have been 76-7. Yeah, probably not a shutout. But, Mitch, we are 11 days away from the first preseason game in New Orleans. We'll talk again before then a week from today. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk to you next week. We'll grind more on Felix. We'll see how this goes over the next week. And- We'll play some of this Felix sound and kind of try to get into Felix's head in this uh, rookie year. Yeah, fingers crossed Felix takes that next jump. Thanks, Mitch. Yes, sir. Thanks, guys. It's Voice of the Chiefs. Mitch Holtis here on the game. And with that, we'll take our hour break. We got your local news coming up. Plus, in hour number two, Big Ten, do they really want to get back into all this conference realignment hoo-ha? Do they really want to get in this mess? They're making the most money. Do they need more than they already got? Well, maybe they just want to join into the Pac-12 buffet. Plus, Hunter Deckers, degenerate gambler more than Troy Coverdale? I don't know. We're going to discuss Hour to the Game up next.